I've been thinking a lot about Dr. Murray's sermon, and I know that all of you were not here on January 1st when Dr. Murray preached uh, via video. Um, We had an opportunity to challenge ourselves with the phrase, anytime, uh, anything, anytime, anywhere. And uh, almost all of you came up. Almost all of you got out of your seats and grabbed one of those cards. But I've been pondering that card all week. And I've been pondering, really, the interaction that Dr. Murray had with that young Egyptian uh, believer who was struggling with how do I really deal with the fear of signing the blank page that Jesus puts in front of all of us. You remember what Dr. Murray's response to her was? His response was, let's go back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and he reminded her of a few things. And so I'm going to read that. You don't need to find it. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And really, I didn't see it until last week that Jesus' book ends the command to go with an expression of his power and his presence. He, he, he begins it with, here's my power. All authority has been given to me. Here's my presence. I'm going with you. Well, what do I have to fear? Why why should I fear, regardless of where he sends me, why should I fear responding to a call to give him anything, anytime, anywhere? I shouldn't. But I began to ponder, why do we? And really, this is the first observation in your map point. We need to recover our confidence in the power of God to do the impossible in our lives and the world around us. How will we have the faith to move into those places that God calls us to in God's power to heal and redeem if we've not seen such power move in our own lives. So many times I think we as a church and as Christians are guilty of settling. We settle for life. We exist through our days as if our God is able to convert us but not transform us. But I believe there's, there is a reason why we fail to see the power of his presence at work. And, and the reason I think we fail to see his presence at work is the place that God almost revealed, that, that God likes to reveal himself in his power and his presence is, is an unusual place. It's an odd place. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, 22 to 33, and you may be there already. Listen as I read this passage of Scripture. It's really a familiar story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It really is an interesting passage, and I love the story. Jesus has just proven himself to be a loving and compassionate God and a great provider for his people by feeding 5,000 plus. They, they, only, they only record that 5,000 men were in that group, but there had to be women and children. So there were many more than 5,000. And, and you know how many he fed? Two, two fish and five loaves, right? A, a little boy's lunch fed them. And I can imagine as a disciple, in, in one of the other passages, it talks about the disciples going around and collecting the leftovers and collecting 12 baskets full. What a triumph for them. What a, what a ministry high for the disciples. I can imagine they may have been completely exhausted. I've been in this place where you see God do miraculous, wonderful things through you, and regardless of how tired you are, you keep going, and you keep pushing through, sometimes to your detriment. But that's where the disciples were. And, and Jesus didn't let them bask in that, though. He didn't leave them there. See, we get, we get the Jesus who, who is compassionate. We get the Jesus who is a very present help in trouble. We get the Jesus who is our refuge, who gives us peace that surpasses understanding. We like that Jesus. But what's more difficult to grasp and often most difficult is to follow the kind of Jesus that urges his disciples to get into a boat and begin to cross the, way, the ocean, knowing full well he spoke the world in being, didn't he? Some commentators have suggested that Jesus didn't know that the wind and the waves were going to be a problem for the disciples. I personally believe that Jesus orchestrated the wind and the waves because he had an agenda. He had a plan. And I, I think if Pastor Mike were still here, he would recognize that, that this time in his life has been orchestrated by the Lord. For whatever reason, he still needs to find out. Job acknowledged this was orchestrated by the Lord. How many of you are struggling right now and you think it's because of chance? If you are the Lord's, he has got a bigger agenda. But see, that's not the Lord that we like to follow quickly and easily, is it? He walks up to his exhausted disciples following the meal and immediately instructs them to row across the Sea of Galilee where a life-threatening storm would soon consume them. And I think here's the second map point. God's primary agenda for our lives is not to protect us, but to perfect us and transform us more and more into his likeness. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the finisher of our faith. Jesus spent every waking moment of his ministry equipping these 12 guys to be the ones who would continue his mission once he leaves the world. He decides that their next exercise of faith building happened to be a storm. But we may say, well, 
why didn't God perfect them on the shoreline? Maybe we say that about our own lives. Lord, I don't want this storm right now. Can't we just do this on the shoreline where things are peaceful? No doubt God is at work on us wherever we are, but there's something unique about the storm, isn't there? In the midst of the storm, what happens to me? I I can tell you what happens to me in the midst of the storm. I lose a sense of power. I I lose a sense of control. I lose a self of self-importance. That's all stripped away from me. Storms are places where we see our own frailties and our smallness and our inability to control anything. And I grew up believing that I could control and I still do sometimes trip in or step into that role in my family, trying to control my kids, trying to control my marriage, trying to control the, the struggles and the difficulties financially. I can't control anything. It's an illusion. It really is an illusion. We fight, we resist, we rebel, we criticize, we try and escape, we scold and blame. In short, we give in to sinful patterns of our flesh that really hate to be weak and battered and helpless. Or we can recognize that because of our helpless state, we are uniquely positioned to see the power and experience the presence of God like we've never done before. But if we're still just looking for a way out of the storm, instead of looking for a way to find more of him, I think we're going to miss the treasure that we can find in the darkness. And I'm not talking about... let me go on. Isaiah 45.3. This is a, look at this passage. I will give you the treasures of darkness. There are treasures in darkness? And the hordes in the secret places. And another, another version of the scripture says, uh, tr- uh, well, it's in my notes. Riches in the storm. That's what hordes in the secret places are. That you may know that it is I, the Lord the God of Israel who calls you by your name. Treasure in darkness? Riches in the storm? What unique treasure is to be found there? What, is, what, what does the passage say? That you know that I am the Lord. That's the unique treasure and the riches that can be found in darkness. God himself. God himself. When Jesus came to the disciples on the water, he did not come to immediately stop the storm. In fact, if you look at this passage of scripture in Mark's account, it says that Jesus was actually intending to pass the disciples by. His intent was not to stop the storm, but for them to see his power in the storm. And all he says in Matthew's account as he approaches them are these words, it is I, do not be afraid. For God knows, and this is your next map point, it is not the absence of the storm that gives us rest, but the nearness of his all-powerful presence. How many of you wish the storm away? How many of you have sat in a, thank you for the witness, how many of you have sat in a prayer meeting and have said, Lord, my kids are struggling right now. Lord, I'm struggling financially, and Lord, take this away from me. And and sometimes that very prayer request may be praying against God's will in your life. Because he's put the storm there so you can get more of himself. So you can get more of him. 
And that's what we need more than anything. It's not the absence of the storm that gives us rest, but the nearness of his all-powerful presence. A casual reading of scripture will demonstrate that this is often God's agenda in times of darkness. And Pastor Mike said it. He wants us to linger in that place. He wants us to wait until we see more of him. The greatest example of this is the story of Job. Job, of course, was hit by waves of men, by, by waves that many of us cannot even fathom. He was hit by the waves of physical, emotional, relational, financial strain until he was near a place of complete collapse. But Job kept trying to find the reason for the storm, didn't he? He kept asking why. And he got foolish counsel from his friends. But he kept asking why. And finally, God walks across the wind and the waves of Job's life and he says, in essence, all that matters is that you know me. All that matters is that you have me. But it took Job a while to be convinced that simply to repeatedly meet his God on those waves, to repeatedly see his God rise above all those waves and display his greatness, beauty, and power. It's interesting what Job says in, in Job 42.5. He says, up until now in my life, I have heard you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. What an, what an amazing acknowledgement. I've, I've heard your evidence in my life. I've heard you in stories of other people, but now I see you. Now I've experienced it myself, that you are who you say you are, that you are the faithful God, that you are the God who's all I need. Where did Job most powerfully see all who God truly was in the storm? If you and I are going to go into the world, if you and I are going to really be obedient to God's call, we are going to have to deal with fear, aren't we? It, it, I, I, every single day I pondered those three words, anything, anytime, anywhere, and I, I catch myself sometimes thinking, really, why did I sign that? Do you know that today is the anniversary of, of the death of those five men who went to preach the gospel to the Alka Indians, Nate Saint and his friends, 56 years ago? They were speared to death. They were willing to say anytime, any, any, anything, anytime, anywhere. Because they knew that Jesus' power was enough and that his presence was enough. Again, if you and I are going to go into the world where suffering is profound, deep, and never-ending, we will have little to offer if we cannot help position others into a place to see the Lord who rises above those circumstances. And we will have nothing to offer if we have not met the Lord in similar places ourselves. If we follow the culture which views suffering and hardship as something to escape and darkness something to flee, or at the very least something to bitterly complain about, we'll miss the very tool that we need to offer hope to a suffering world. Have you ever thought about it that way? God is perfecting you. He's perfecting you to be the men and women, the disciples that he's called you to be. And he's using unorthodox means, according to, my, according to me, I would have a much easier plan if it were up to me. I'd have a much more comfortable plan if it were up to me. 
We will never have the faith to proclaim that even in the greatest darkness and the fiercest waves, God will powerfully be present so that you not only see him, but you're able to do what he's doing. He shows us that he is the God of the impossible and impossible situations so that we will join him in the expansion of his kingdom, in the impossible settings that he puts us. He's not only showing up in power to prove that he can do the impossible, but he reveals himself this way to stir our faith to believe that in him as well. And because of him, all things are possible for us as well. In the storm, God says to us, enter my classroom, for you are to take what you see of me and hear and learn to do it yourself. And this is just exactly what happens on the Sea of Galilee to the disciples. You notice that when the Lord wishes to stir the faith of his disciples to believe that with Christ all things are possible, he doesn't try and slowly build their faith a little at a time. He doesn't begin with puddle jumping 101. He doesn't take them to the shallows next to the shore and teach them to paddle around on the three or four inch water. He takes them right into the middle of the ocean, of of the Sea of Galilee. He instructs his disciples to row into a life-threatening situation. I think God intentionally uses the storms to get faith to surface. Here's the next point on your map. It's that kind of faith, faith in an all-powerful God that is needed for the mission that is waiting for us in the world. I, I, I can't accomplish this mission in my own strength. I, I need the power of the Lord who all authority has been given, and I need his presence. I can't be faithful at all to that because I will be overcome with fear. He chooses an entirely impossible, terrifying situation to help them see that in the most impossible situations, all things are possible with Christ. And I think it's a place where Jesus wants to meet us over and over and over and over again. And and part of that is scary to me. Because part of me wants to go through the difficulty, wants to go through the darkness and say, okay, I've learned enough. Thank you very much. I don't need any more. I've arrived. That's not his agenda. This is a lesson that Peter learned. Peter had already seen that Jesus wanted his disciples to do whatever he was doing. Read the Gospels. When Jesus healed others, what did he do with the disciples? Now you go and do the same. When Jesus cast out demons, he turned to the disciples and what did he say? Go do it. And so Peter knew that if it was really Jesus present in the storm, he would have the same agenda. Jesus was walking on the water. Peter knew he was going to be able to do the same. Interesting to note that when Peter recognized the Lord, he didn't say, thank God you're finally here, calm these waves. He says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. I want to do what you're doing. Peter had already grown in faith to the point that when he saw the Lord powerfully walking above the waves, he wanted to be where Jesus was. So what did Jesus say? Come. Come. In the midst of the storm, Jesus invites Peter to join him to do what he is doing to show that the realities of heaven truly are breaking into the realities of this world. There are storms all around us, aren't there? 
We, we have coworkers that, are, that live in constant storms, neighbors, friends, family members. These are the realities that the kingdom of God wants to break into. And, and he's going to use you to do it. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you been through the fire, so to speak? Disciples, and this is the fifth point on your map. Disciples are people who will always be more concerned about being like Jesus in the storm than getting out of the storm. Disciples are people who will always be more concerned about being like Jesus in the storm than getting out of the storm. They are people who have so powerfully seen the Lord in the storm that they know that even in the greatest storm, the realities of heaven are now powerfully being joined with the realities of this fallen world through Christ. And they're eager to participate. How do we exercise faith in God that will overcome our fear to say anything, anytime, anywhere? I really have three applications for us to ponder this morning. Three applications in the bottom of your map. The first one is be people of the word. Wait a minute. Is it that simple? No, no, it's not that simple. I think sometimes we think, oh, I I just have to read the scriptures. I think James reminds us, don't be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. There's more to being people of the word than just simply listening to the word. It's obeying it. Peter waits to be invited by the Lord, doesn't he? He sees Jesus. He wants to be where Jesus is, but he waits for Jesus' invitation. What invitation has Jesus given you and I already about being on mission with him? We, we sometimes make the convenient excuse that I haven't heard Jesus' call to go yet. Well, then we must not be really students of the scriptures because if we look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus has already made it clear that he's calling us, he's inviting us to participate in what he's doing in this world. But we need to be people of the word to say, okay, if you've called me, what am I waiting for? Secondly, faith will falter. Your faith will falter. My faith will falter. The next thing we learn is that as the Lord makes his presence and power known and gives us his invitation through his word to join in his kingdom works, the storm continues. Storms will continue. In fact, it has been my experience that as soon as you have success one day, The accuser works doubly hard to consume you the following day with deeper darkness. As long as we're just complaining about the storm, the enemy really doesn't care because we're not making a dent. We're not making a difference by complaining about the storm. But when we actually see the Lord in a way that causes us to move out into the storm, believing that we are called to do what he's doing, that's when the enemy gets a little worried. Because as you see people stepping out in faith and you think to yourself, how are they doing that? I had one of those moments with my own daughter, Jordan, when she was in high school. She had an opportunity to go to Peru for a month. It'd be the longest time she was away from us. And I remember telling my dad that she was going and his response to me was, why would you let her do that? You are crazy. She might get hurt. She might get, it might get worse. I'm like, Dad, what is the worst that could happen to her? 
Well, he got this, this goofy look in his face, like the light bulb went on. He's, well, I guess she could die. And I said, and? He said, I get your point. She's just going to go where I've been preparing her for. She's going to go and meet her maker. See, I, I, faith is going to falter, though. How can, how can we move out in the darkness of the deep faith that causes others to not fear the waves? Such a faith in Christ may cause others in the darkness to look towards him, and the enemy certainly will not have any of this. So the enemy will oversee the direction and the power of the waves once again, knowing exactly how to make us falter. And if it's not the enemy that causes our stumbling, it's our own flesh. Like Peter that starts to suddenly look at the waves and he starts to sink. I'm not going to try and do what Jesus is doing in the midst of these turbulent waters is what we sometimes say. We need to reapply our faith every day with every step. And Peter, while often getting a bad rap in Scripture, I think has a wonderful strategy for what we're to do when we falter. And what did he do? He cried out to Jesus. And Jesus reached out his hand and rescued him. See, even as we falter, that's another reminder that we need to trust Jesus even more. Even as we fail and struggle, we need to continue to reach out and up to him. Number three, third application. Exercising faith is the call of every believer. It's not just for a few. If Jesus just wanted Peter to learn and pursue God's kingdom works in the midst of a storm, he could have just met Peter on the sea. But who does he send out into the sea? He sends all 12. Yeah, but perhaps many of us are tempted to say, look, I'm, I'm not really in a storm right now. Life is good, and we are fortunately enjoying the abundant blessing and provision of God in our lives right now. All is quiet along the shoreline. All this talk about darkness, storms, walking on waves, just doesn't connect for where I am right now. And that may be the case. Because in reality, when you think about the storms of your life, especially American Christians, we have it relatively easy, don't we? We have it relatively easy. We don't struggle like some of our brothers and sisters do in third world countries. We don't. We are, even our various, even, our, even, our, even the very poor in our country are rich beyond imagination compared to some of our other believers in other countries. And I might be tempted to say the same thing for much of my life has gone relatively smoothly as well. But there's one phrase that Jesus shared with his disciples before he ascended to the Father, and this phrase gets me all the time. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. You can't squirm away from that one. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Where did the Father send the Son? He sent the Son into the storm of this world, into the storm of sin and death, into the storm of decay, into the greatest storm one could ever experience. He sent him into the storm of sin-stained humanity and into the life-threatening winds of profound evil and darkness. 
See, no one encountered the darkness and the life-threatening waves in this world like Jesus. And if we are to be sent into the world as Jesus was sent into the world, doesn't it mean that we now are called to enter this storm of sin and darkness as well? Is the quiet, calm sea around us quiet and calm because we're still avoiding not only the places where God would meet us most powerfully, but we're also avoiding those places where our faith would be forced to surface? It's an opportunity for a gut check. Are we avoiding those places? Are we avoiding those places where the kind of faith needed to go, to go out into this world doesn't have an opportunity to surface because we're really not putting ourselves in harm's way? We're not trusting the power and the presence of Jesus to send us out into the difficult places. Ministry's messy, isn't it? Ministry really is messy. And I remember churches that I have served before would move away from folks that came in off the streets because they didn't smell good. Ministry is messy. Are we staying within the shoreline of where we can keep a quiet confidence and faith in ourselves so that we rest in peace instead of risk in faith? You say, but such places of darkness can be overwhelming. Of course they are. That is why we, we will look to Christ like never before and see his power like never before in these impossible situations and discover that everything really is possible to the one who believes in him. Charles Spurgeon said, there's nothing that Christ did except his work on the cross which his people shall not do in and through him by the exercise of their faith. Think about that. You and I will not die on a cross like he did. But there's nothing else we shouldn't be doing when we're willing to exercise faith in his power and his presence. Real followers of Jesus will be storm chasers, not shoreline people. I recently heard a story of a woman who was at a store with her child and bought a flashlight for her little girl. She bought her a little pink Barbie flashlight, and as they were checking it out, the little girl excitedly held the flashlight in her hand and was turning it on and off, turning it on and off, and she's like, Mommy, I can't see the light. And of course, she couldn't see the light because the store was so bright. But she got very excited and she said, Mommy, hurry up. When we get out of here, can we go find some darkness? And you know, I think, I think we need to recognize that we're called do as this little girl did. What, has, what flashlight has God given us? His light in life. Has he not? He's given us the light of Christ. And our call is to go and find some darkness. Let's go find some darkness and row into that storm, anticipating that we will see his powerful works and be given the opportunity to join with those works for his glory. What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of your neighbors or coworkers? Jesus has promised his power and his presence. Walk into, the, walk into that darkness. Step into that darkness. Step into that darkness in your own life. Push through it with his power and his presence.